Yeah. Well, welcome everybody. This is Dwayne Neusiger, Tony Trussell, and today we have a very special guest joining us on Tree Actions, the Human Forestry Podcast. And today we have Wenda Lee from, I guess, is it, I don't even know if it's fair to say Toronto, Wenda. I don't want to pick the wrong city, but where are, is Toronto correct? Yep. I'm right in the smack center of Toronto. Wow. So there you go. We've got our first uh, tree actions taking place from Toronto, Canada with Wendelie. So uh, Wenda, it's a human forestry podcast. I told you a little bit about it at the show. And I don't remember if we did a little mini session with you at the show, did we? No. No, no, we never did. Oh, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we, we didn't get to that. Okay. So that's okay. Cause we did a few people at the show in that way, but um, I'm really excited to have you uh, join us. And really we just talked about, our experiences in the tree care industry and, and kind of being part of the, what we're sort of calling the human forest. And, you know, your story is, is a very, well, it's a, a, an inspiring story to me. And I think to many people, and, and I know that you're getting more requests and you're sharing it more and more. So maybe you just want to give us a, an overview of and I, even how it actually first started. How did you find yourself in the trees? Well, I've always been attracted uh, to trees. You know, I'm the quintessential tomboy growing up in the suburbs of Toronto. And um, I'd be climbing like what I know now where like, honestly, newly planted Austrian pines. And as a small kid, just because it was like a ladder. Um, So that was the, you know, the initial attraction. And it just grew into, um, in high school, I had an opportunity to do a a three-week intensive, sort of like a wilderness experience with Outward Bound Canada. And that blew my mind apart. Um, Just up and spending, like, you know, I was 17, never went camping before, never slept in a tent, never canoed in my life. And then... I went on this course that it was completely nature immersed. And um, at the end of the course, I realized I need to do something after, like with my career, to do with trees. And that led me to get a, a degree in forestry, which was a big disappointment because you know, back in the 80s, if you wanted to do anything with trees, the guidance counselor would say, oh, you're going into forestry, not knowing that forestry was pulp and paper um, and clear cuts, or you go into wildlife ecology. And um, right. I managed to get through my degree, but I really was not like, going to spend the rest of my life doing forest management, like, you know, 20-year management plans uh, up north. I came back to Toronto. I was trying to look for jobs that were tree-related, and I got a, uh, a contract with the city of Toronto as a parks and rec uh, laborer. And that was basically planting trees and working nights, fertilizing trees on the main boulevard. And 
Again, wow. it was not my cup of tea. And then there was a posting <laughs> for anybody in uh, the city of Toronto for the first in-house training program to become a parks pruner. I had no idea what it was. I just wanted to get off working nights. So I signed up for okay. it. I didn't even know there was a department that that did, you know, pruning of trees. Honestly. Wow. So I wow, said, what were you doing? Okay, go ahead. So, you know, you're in a group with, you know, lawn cutters, people from sanitation, just a motley crew of, 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 of people. And you sign up for it and then you have to pass a fitness test. And the fitness test we were in, um, if anybody's familiar with Toronto, there's a park called High Park. And um, they had this gorgeous white oak. And all you had to do was they, they supplied a belt, a harness, is just to belay yourself. It was about 30, 35 feet, hand over hand. You're on belay. Yeah. And if you got to the top, you qualified for the program. So I think I was one of the first to get to the top. And they said, wow. oh, do you want to go higher? Because I think they, they, put, they set the line like, you know, Maybe I'm going to say 45 feet, but the, you only had to yeah. climb to whatever. So then they said, oh, we're going to we're going to make sure you can, you know, if you want to go up higher. So they sent another climber up there to make sure it was OK, like, you know, to, <laughs> to to escort me up there. And then when I got there, like fireworks, rainbow, unicorn explosions hit me. <laughs> and I said, holy this is what I am meant to do. I had an epiphany wow. and I knew instantly I'm going to spend the rest of my life. This is my life's vocation as a tree worker. Wow. And, and that's it. Yep. You know, it's not very often. And, and so far in all the podcasts we've done, I haven't heard someone describe the moment when they knew like that. And, you know, I had the same thing happen when I knew I wanted to be a teacher because uh, I had taught an uh, uh, off-campus course. I was asked to teach. I'd graduated from college. And I, I did finish this class, and I remember, I don't know if it was a student review. There was something about it. I, I had that epiphany. It was just, like you said, fireworks, whatever. It was like that. It was there was nothing going to stand in the way of me getting hired as an instructor at Olds College. Like, it was like, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I did it. Like, there was just nothing was going to stop me. And when you just described that feeling, it is a powerful thing, isn't it? You yeah. just know. And then when you say that to some people, and then especially when I'm talking to students, and they said, yeah, but what does that feel like? Like, how do you know? It's like, you will know. And it, it, it oh, it's, yeah. it's like something rips into your soul and shouts down yeah. your throat this is it yeah. and yeah. <laughs> you have no choice and it's nope. so um it's grounding and you feel yep. like if this was written into the stars you've just answered yeah. the calling and it's up to you to figure it out and yep. to work through whatever um, you need to do to do it. It's fascinating, you know, and when I had to apply 
four times for the job that I wanted. I kept getting not hired. I would be told no. And, you know, it just dawned on me, like your story, you, it wasn't easy. You had that epiphany, but man, for it to come true and you didn't, you had to work for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what's, I mean, it's quite a story, but how, I, I'm just curious how you, you know, in the, in the context of this, like, it never, you know, you, it was so powerful feeling and you remained undaunted through several, not just discriminations, but, well, probably, that was probably the biggest thing I would say, wouldn't you say, was the discriminatory factor? Oh, yeah. So it's one thing to, um, because it, the, it was a six-week six week program, you had to pass, like, every week, you know, whether it's using a chainsaw on a tree, climbing, limb walking, and then at the end, whoever was left over, there was the, the main test, the, the tree climbing, and you had to uh, um, rig a piece or whatever. And there was only six full-time positions, but there was more than wow. six people. So you still had to fight to get like the highest grade, so to speak. And um, in the, uh, that's how I uh, became the first female tree climber for the city of Toronto. That was in 1992. The training started in 91. So I usually say, you know, 92. So everything was great. But then you're literally thrown into the wolves because up until that point, it was just, you know, a guy's club. And, And these were rough guys. A lot of these guys had barely finished high school, grade 10 education, but they started, you know, literally when they were like 18 and they've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years, but they had absolutely no, like if you were to ask them about compartmentalization, they didn't know anything about that, but they were good at climbing. And if someone said, you need to take this limb off, they could execute that. So then here I come, I'm having to, you know, downplay my education. Um, I'm a, I'm an Asian woman. I'm like, you know, these guys were just like, just a rough, rough bunch. And to be thrown into that. Meanwhile, I'm ecstatic. I got in with the city. And there's a disparity because, you know, part of you, you're so excited and you're, you want to learn, but uh, then you find out nobody wants to work with you. They don't want to, you're rocking the boat because now they have to behave, so to speak, because there's a woman. Uh, They've never worked with a woman, let alone an Asian woman. So they, it comes with their own, you know, stereotypes. Oh, she's petite she's shy she's delicate she's whatever so then it you know at the beginning it was fine um i was just like one of the guys but eventually i realized they had a a poll to see how would how long i would last they would send me up these like you know huge oaks very little uh, coaching or instruction, 
or even if I had to yeah. do like a fruit tree pruning or whatever, and it's like, well, what am I doing? And they would just say, oh, you got to ball it. Well, what the hell does that mean? And they just said, well, just do it. And then everybody's just watching you and judging you. So it just right. kept on going and going and um, long story short, it just got worse because uh, it's at first they're judging you because you're too slow. So then, of course, right. I'm just trying to um, get my my skill levels really quick. So I would always volunteer. Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. Or I'd be watching, and it didn't matter if my tendonitis, my carpal tunnel was in agony you just had to do it i had to survive essentially in that environment and you you know they're stealing from your equipment locker you got graffiti there'd be jeers people either ignore you um nobody wants to work with you so i'm put on the hydro crew doing line clearing and then I was shuffled to different yards because nobody wanted to work with me. Um, you know, when they sweeping the whole garage, all the, the garbage would be piled in front of my equipment locker. And, you know, after a while, you just really get exhausted. I'm trying to learn a skill and I'm dealing with a bunch of hooligans. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know how I survived five years. Wow, five years of it. You know, I, I, it's it's difficult to relate because you know, the parts you can kind of relate to because I think most of us, especially from the eighties, seventies, eighties generation, nineties, even, you know, tree care was. You know, we were joking the other day about with someone about like three points of contact was was the, how important that was to have to cut. That didn't that meant like a hand and your feet were on a branch. You you could work, you know, regardless of whether even you had your belt on, you know, but that was very damn important, you know, and there was a lot of bravado and like, you know, this, you know, being told. Almost like you you were giving your test before your lesson, like this expectation of like, well, if they're any good, they'll just make it through, you know. But I can't imagine, you know, what it would have been, because I think a lot of you guys and people <laughs> can experience that, but not the extra added bonus of, and I say I don't bonus might be the wrong word, but extra discriminatory fact of, you know, uh, I don't think there was any women practicing agriculture that, at that time. You're definitely in the first, you know, I'm sure there was a few here and there, but it was such a minority and such a male dominated industry and such a, you know, that style of, you know, it just, it, it just speaks to your tenaciousness and your, you know, your commitment to, to what you knew as your calling. And, uh, you know, I, 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 it's really great that you can speak about it and talk about it because I think it still exists, unfortunately. You know, I, I, and I, and I think the more that it gets spoke of, the more people, particularly arborist males can maybe say, Hey, have I ever done that? And what can I do to not be like that? 
and, and, and break that cycle, you know, break that, that mentality of, you know, it's almost like a hazing process that could take on a real ugly tone when there's a female involved, you know? Yeah. And that's what I, I think you went through. And, you know, I'm sure you learned some things out of it, but you know, what, 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 you know, if, if you can, I don't know if it's possible. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious, you know, I guess I, I, I try to practice gratitude and, and, you know, think about things happening for a reason. Like, can you think back to what, that did for you, you know, even though it was unfair, unjust, and totally wrong. What did it do anything for you, do you think? Oh yeah. I I'm full of gratitude because a lot of people will ask me, well, what would you have changed? And you know, <laughs> like what does that do to your psyche? Well, yeah, it did do like I ended up quitting only because I had uh, an ulcer from all the stress and the anxiety. Yeah. And yeah. I, I had to like I was physically, emotionally and mentally like sucked dry. And yeah. but now looking back, uh, my career like has been extraordinary. I've had opportunities beyond like I, I could ever imagine um, from competing at the internationals to winning it and all of those experiences in my early career like really tested me like heart of nails I grew scales I grew barbed wire all of that <laughs> and it really tested like how much are you willing to sacrifice but then at the same time when you're so driven because you it's it's your it's your life um yeah I had a quote saying that the fire in me burned brighter than the fire around me. And that holds true. It's like my desire to be the best climber, the best person um, was way more important than dealing with these honestly immature Neanderthals yeah. just being yeah. threatened by my presence and, and threatened by my abilities eventually. So as I look back now, all those people, you know, maybe 20 years ago, I would have said, uh, you know, I hate them, I hate them. But now I see them, they were my teachers. They tested mm. me. Wow. Um, it, it gave me the, you know, the strength to, to progress where I am. And I tell my story to inspire that hey, if I can do it from, you know, a suburbia growing up, um, I'm, I'm, I'm only 5'1". I'm not like some, you know, <laughs> big person. But I was able to do this. And, you know, even doing the competitions, like my climbing style yeah. for a smaller woman, um, I think was uh, eye-opening to, you know, people in general, guys. And yeah. it's not just a white male dominated industry. And right. like there's lot, I'm living in a bubble in Toronto. We're seeing lots of women, women of color, women of all races, all genders. It's not exclusive that you have no. to have your license to be a six foot, whatever 
honking <laughs> guy with muscles and you know so you you've mentioned uh going on to to meeting more women in the industry through the competition and then also going to Hong Kong and meeting uh other Asian climbers there like do you think that you know, your experiences from the early times made those times that much sweeter or, um, but even that doesn't even really matter. Just, I mean, it was, there've been very inspiring stories of when you started to connect with other women arborists, particularly, I think it started at the comp. Oh yeah. Because I never had, uh, any, uh, female role models, um, female mentors, I had no idea where I was, uh, where my my level of uh, experience was, because I was always climbing with guys, yeah. competing with guys. And then uh, at the internationals, it was like, wow. And meeting like people from, you know, Australia and Germany. Um, and then realizing where I was in the pack blew my mind. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was that was all part of the you know the, those those stepping stones, and then meeting women that you know just in, inspired me and, and empowered me. It gave me more strength because they weren't. I think they were on top of their game, but there was not a lot of of women that they were working with as well. So going to compete at these internationals just once a year, meeting those women, it was so inspiring to me to continue on and uh, to continue on the the competitions. Um, You speak of Hong Kong. That was profound. That was, that was another like, okay, you you, you pass this test. We're going to throw you another bone. I had no expectations with that and just seeing all these men and women, Asian women, um, and the fact that I can understand Cantonese, I just can't speak it because my accent is just so frightening. Um, It just (laughs) brought it all back. It was, uh, uh, in my talk, I talk about that ancestral void that I didn't know was missing until I experienced it. And it still gives me chills that I had that opportunity because they just saw me, Oh, it's a North American woman. She, she just so happens to be, you know, her parents are from Hong Kong, but she's like totally, you know, Westernized and she's a climber. So they, that's how they saw me, but I'm seeing, wow, look, all these Chinese people, they're all climbing. And nobody's like, yeah. they're not having to face discrimination, harassment, or anything like that. So it was sort of like right. this, you know, this real mind thing with me, um, you know, playing the opposite. Yeah, you know, it, it, well, it just makes me think of the, the whole human forest aspect, you know, and, and that. I think for a lot of us in this industry or the, the, the human forest, you know, it's, it is, it, it, it's more than just professional. Like obviously you were there in a professional capacity teaching climbing or whatever. I think you were teaching climbing, but you know, the, the impact that it has on us as people and, and, and personally, you know, 
Yeah, and you you touch on it in your talk, and and uh, you re referenced a couple times your talk. And those of you that, if you ever get a chance to out there listening to this, like Wenda does go and speak at conference. She has a a talk that she's put together that is really, you know, when it was a well amazing and just a really well done talk. And I hope that you get to speak it everywhere. Uh, but if you ever get a chance to listen to it, please take that opportunity. But what could you? How do you feel you would describe how? the human forest has, has impacted you personally as well. Like as a person in your, in your life outside of trees. And for a lot of us, there isn't much necessarily of a life outside of trees because trees are so much a part of our life. But how would you describe that that's impacted you being part of this human forest in all aspects of your life? Well, I think that it goes back to that whole desire, that epiphany moment that I want to connect with trees for the rest of my life. And back then, I didn't know what that looked like. Connecting with trees was, okay, climbing trees. And then it grew to, you know, teaching homeowners about the value of their trees when I became a job estimator. And it wasn't about just selling a job, but selling information that this is not just a thing in their backyard causing shade. Um, and then it became, you know, the tree factor became a sense of community once you start going to competitions or industry events. You know, when you get a herd of arborists, whether it's like at an annual conference, we're so passionate about just the tree itself. and. We're, we, we take that for granted because, you know, for years, my, my spouse would be coming to the competitions and she's not an arborist or anything, but she just felt so excluded. And even though we're not always talking about trees, but when you get a bunch of arborists, you can just feel that energy. We're so like the vibe We're we're so grounded when we're a, with, because we're all about the trees. And right. uh, there's just a, a magic about that. And I think it's because those tr the trees are a living, breathing entity. Um, I believe yeah. that the, tree, the trees have soul. And the tree itself is attracting, is like, you know, the, the central vortex that attracts people to it. And unlike huh. any other trade, whether you're a, you know, plumber, electrician, uh, you know, even landscapers. And I, I have this interesting conversation with other landscapers. It's like, boy, you tree people are, are way more passionate than when you get a group of landscapers. And it's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> you know, plants and shrubs are live beings too, but we're talking about something that is like, you know, can be hundreds of years old and mm -hmm. that power that energy is just uh, it just takes it to a different level so i think yeah. it's not about we going to the tree but it's the trees that are acting as a magnet to attract people to it and from that you know, I'm, I'm meeting wow. people at conferences. I'm meeting people, you know, through my talks. I'm doing career mentorship and connecting to those students who, yeah, you know, I think I, I think I could do this. I, I'm, you know, I'm transitioning from horticulture to, 
and there hasn't been a language or that I know of, of what it is. And it's this magical, powerful spark that transcends that, oh, it's a living, you know, uh, a living, growing piece of vegetation. Yeah. I, yeah, that's a really neat way of looking at it. And I, I, that, I love that. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and I, I like that, that the trees, you know, really attract, you know, those of us who are willing to connect to them. Uh, that's a really neat concept. So, you know, they act as the, the filter, so to speak, to, you know, because it's almost, you know, and, and you hear it, it, it's it's not uncommon. I don't know if you've seen that Legends of Arbor Culture little clip where uh, Larry Hall, who uh, uh, speaks at the very end of it, and he says, he says, I think that people that spend a decade or two in Arbor Culture, that something mystically happens or something happens to them that he says, and it's imparted mystically by the trees. Yeah. Like that's the word he uses. Yeah. And I think it truly is. And, and I also think the whole concept of living thing, it commands respect and the oldest, the oldest of living things on the planet, like not just, um, you know, their size and mass in many cases. Well, in fact, interestingly enough, the oldest ones aren't that big. <laughs> you know, the oldest are the pines. Uh, from my understanding, some of the oldest are here in the Crow's Nest Pass, the limber pines that are five to 7,000 years old. And some yeah. are still alive. Yeah. And their, their bones are still there for the rest of them. Like they're, you can, and they're, you can, you know, you can walk up to these trunks of trees that are probably a foot and a half in diameter. And the trees are maybe the, the tallest is 30, 40 feet tall, you know, but they are alive and been alive like before the ice age, you know, yeah. it's astonishing that they've survived. And how do you not have a connection with that or an honor for that? Like, and maybe I, like we said, I think that's really cool given by the tree for those of us that maybe are in the place in life or whatever to hear it. Cause it doesn't hit everybody. Right. Which, which we can't understand because uh, it, it does connect with us, you know, and uh, that's really amazing. You know, and, and so I, I don't know, I I I think I may have told you like uh Shigo, Dr. Shigo and Jack Phillips were looking at writing a they were in the middle of writing a book called The Soul of a Tree. Mm. When and unfortunately they didn't finish it because Shigo passed away, but the whole concept was that trees have what is it about trees that connect us and uh that gives them soul, the way you listen to a song that moves you or food that comforts you. Trees have that effect on people, and they were attempting to describe that and talk about that. And uh, I think that's kind of what you're touching on here. Oh, my dog wants to say hi. So um, interesting, you know. Uh, and 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 uh, talking about Celeste and her not like feeling somewhat left out at a tree event. <laughs> I can, you know, I've, I've heard that too. You know, from from those close to me and from Nance. You know, like. They're not, they just don't have, the, they, they don't have the same connection for whatever reason. You know, what do you think it is that, that some of us get that and some of us don't? I don't, I, that's something I can't put my finger on. It's just a gift, I guess. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> Shigo always says, touch trees. And maybe yeah. if you haven't touched and really connected, 
Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't grab you in. I had a conversation not too long ago and I can't remember who it was. And I was just saying that, you know, um, um, oh, that Japanese guy who did the, all those water experiments, uh, is it Imoto Matsu that he, he would have a glass of water and he would write like, you know, the word love or peace. And then he would take a eyedropper of, of the water from that glass of water and put it under a microscope. And the, 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 the water crystals would be this beautiful, you know, uh, pattern. But then with that same glass of water, if he put a piece of tape and said and put the word hatred, um, war, anger, and then took an eyedropper of water and under a microscope, the, um, the crystallization of the water droplets, it, it would reflect like, you know, it would be sharp and, and prickly. And so we're we're like everybody knows we're all made up of like was it 90 percent water liquid same with trees same with animals and we emit that this vibrational frequency that you know it, it, it it's like the the frequency of our attraction sort of you know they <laughs> they yeah. speak to each other and right. it's that's that's the soul speak. It's funny because yeah. women we can talk about like I, I've you know throughout my career, you know we'd have these conversations about this spiritual connection with trees. But with guys, like no no no, we don't want to talk about spiritual this. But they'll oh. say you know man that climb was just awesome. Everything just vibed. It just clicked. You know, I was just in sync. I was like, you know, in the zone. So it's just the, the application of language. And I find that, you know, with guys, they'll, wow. they'll use that. But with women, we'll say, yeah, you know, that grounded me. I was connected. You know, yep. it, it, was, it was a spiritual experience. Same, yeah. same well, feeling, is... just different words apl applied. Well, I think there is truth to that in that, you know, the, I think the, well, you can get pretty uh, deep in here, uh, but I'll go there anyway. You know, the, I think a lot of the, the feminine um, resonance or vibration of femininity in humanity you know, I think it was stifled by, you know, uh, just certain, uh, I don't know, power and control of, um, you know, the development of mankind, I suppose you could say. I don't know where it started from exactly, but, you know, I think, you know, there used to be the term goddess and even in, in worship and in, in ancient cultures that, that, you know, somehow through I don't know, in the last 500 years or so has changed. It went far more masculine and we lost that connection even for healing for the natural herbs. Like what, you know, you know, the, you know, wise women of the woods, like which got termed as witches or blamed for things that were just, it just took away from all of that side of things that, you know, I don't, that women never disconnected from because it was inherently part of them. But as men, we, we weren't, 
you know, I think of myself, like you, you weren't taught it. You didn't learn it. You didn't, you weren't exposed to it. So you didn't even know what you didn't know. And I think there's a bit of a coming back to that, you know, uh, at least in my life, there's been that, you know, thanks to some significant women that I've had and had in my life. And I mean, like yourself, like completely. And there's a, you know, you can learn to appreciate, which I think everyone's had the capability of even going all the way back to your experience in Toronto. Like that's an evidence of that, that disconnect that occurred where particularly men lost the ability to connect with the feminine side of themselves even. Yes. And, and, and it needs to come back for, you know, for true healing of not just, you know, treat people, but the planet, I think, <laughs> to be honest. And I mean, I know we're getting, but hey, we don't have rules on this podcast. We don't have boundaries. And uh, I'm glad for it, you know. But, uh, and the more we have ears to hear and are open to listen and be sensitive to that, because I think it's there, you know, for me, um, you know, and, and for me, my recovery has been a big part of that, you know, my journey through. Uh, recovering from alcoholism and, and, and addiction has, I've, I've had to learn to be more open to the spiritual side of things in order for my own healing to occur. And, and that's really all it takes is openness and honesty to, and willingness to hear. And it can change and open up so much, you know. Um, and I think that's a very wise observation that you've made there about that. And, and, yeah, I could see that. Like, I would love to have been a fly on the wall listening to a women's only group talk about their experience in, in a climber in a tree. You know, you, I just, it would be, it would be very different. I think, you know. Well, I think the the bar has been raised with so many educational, um, you know. Old College in, um, in Ontario, we had Sir Sanford Fleming and Humber College. So you get, yeah. you know, you're, you're still getting about 10% women in the class, but at least the the men in the class, they're, they're all at the same level. They're all learning from scratch how to yeah. climb. And a lot of times those women are just seen as another student. And then, you know, they're going into the workforce and a lot of them are, you know, lots of students are getting um, hired and it's, it's diluting that whole, that the old boys club now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like, especially in the, in the Toronto GTA area, I don't like most companies have at least one woman. And if you don't, mm-hmm. then it's like, really? Come on. It's, you know, 2023. You don't even have a woman. You've never had a woman. So it's, it's gone that, uh, you know, in, in that direction, which I think like, wow, this is, this is great. Um, something that I don't know why I'm, I'm thinking of this, but since doing my talk and I'm having more men come up to me sharing the experience like just recently how they've been harassed at a company because they're educated they're finding you know showing them oh well we can do it this way and i'm finding it wow like before it was like to share with other women because like i know where you're coming from but i'm getting like you know (laughs) I never would 
expect guys saying, well, I'm also getting um, a hard time yeah. because of the, you know, whatever the environment that's in. Yeah. And I find, you know, that I think my message is universal. It's not just for women. I agree. And, and there is a shift in that too. I, I, there's more education overall taking place. And I think we're at a crossroads or a transition in the industry where, you know, there is like a, by no means has it completely changed. And I think, you know, when anyone, anyone listening to this could say, Oh man, like, it's still like that at my company. Cause I think a lot of co- like that, that's just a long-term legacy that was there. Uh, you know, you know, I was trained to, you put the saddle on, you put the lanyard on and you climb to the top. If you, you even getting a ladder was like, you're, you're kind of lame. Like you, you shinnied or you got a boost. Like you climb literally up someone's back and you'd stand on their shoulders, jump to the first branch and then climb the tree. Like you, you need to get a ladder really. Like, but we, you know, sometimes it was just too high. So then you had to. And then climb all the way up, you know, and it just was this real weird bravado. And I, you know, you, you buy into it, you're trained into it and it takes a long time for that to change. And I think it's in that we're in a real flux mode of that now. And you have some companies that are quite different in, in, in all, in like they've changed a lot. It, it's not even an issue like it is. And then there's some companies where it still hasn't changed hardly at all, you know, and, and uh, that's something I always, when people ask about where to go work and so on, you know, that's one of the things you got to look for you know? and you can find better places, but sometimes you end up, you just made a bad choice and you know, you'll know, you know, soon on into it, what the, I guess the real company culture is. I think that's what it boils down to. What's the real culture of the, of the organization. Right? And uh, they're not all, uh, not all the companies have embraced, you know, this new model of, inclusion and let's try new things be open to like there's still companies that never do a tailboard <laughs> you know, just don't. and i mean tony i think it's perhaps i don't know if it's different in canada and the u.s but you know i always called it the when i would train down in the states that i always call it the land of the free and the brave you know like uh ppe was a little less stringent than it is in canada unless legislated we have that advantage i think in some cases here but uh what do you think tony yeah i think you know when i do work and train up in canada there's it's a higher percentage of women in the workforce overall than here in the states um just across the board but i've seen it growing uh you know almost exponentially um you know 15 years ago would have been unheard of to have a woman on the workforce in the States here, just, it would have been really, really exceptional. And it probably would have, and you would have stereotyped them and said, Oh, you must be doing plant healthcare. You, you know, you would have just assumed they weren't a climber. Um, but that's really starting to change and it's starting to change. I mean, for a number of reasons, I think the climate competitions were a huge part of it here in the States. And just so, just so for all the listeners that don't know, Wenda was the second uh, women's champion ever in 2002 you were actually the first canadian champion ever Um, yes you were the first north american women's champion 
cover. Just so I want, just want to make sure how you, everyone understands how you're blazing a trailer. And I wanted to make you blush too, but uh, <laughs> no, but because of that, I think that especially here in the States, the women getting involved in the competition starting in 2001 <clears throat> and how many competitors were there when the six of six, probably six women competed roughly yeah, ish. And I was, was surprised yeah. because in the U S there's so many chapters and then mm-hmm. at the internationals, like there only be like, you know, a few, like no more than three women from the States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and I've seen that change, you know, over the years to be much more representative. And, and I think too, you know, talking about the education part of it, I think that's changed too. Like, um, <clears throat> you know, tree care demands more of an education to do it because really quite honestly, just about anybody can learn how to cut down a tree. In fact, now when it comes to mechanization and the amount of equipment we have at our disposal, tree removal is really not a hands-on, not saying it's not difficult work, but sometimes it's not as complex as it used to be. But caring for trees, pruning for trees still takes an artistic sense. It still takes a scientific sense. You still have to know where to make the cut, how to make the cut. And those things I think are getting much more important because like I said, it's getting easier and easier to get into the into the workforce or get into the business in the industry, have a whole bunch of equipment to cut down trees, but it's a bad business model because you can't ever work on that tree again. So I think that it's starting to, it's starting to change that way too. And education is playing a bigger pole, which is I think evening the field um, for, you know, highly educated people from all over, you know, men, women, all over, you know, to be able to get into the, it never, you know, it never really changed for me until Dr. Coder told me once we were, we were talking about tree removals and he said, Tony, if you want to take a tree down, at least take it down the way it was put together. And it really kind of changed the way I looked at work. And I needed, you know, at that point I needed, I knew that I needed to understand more about trees and even in removals, you know, to understand how to, mm-hmm. how to get down safely with dignity for them, but then also safely and some dignity for myself as well. Cause it, you know, anyone can cut down a tree, you know, it's, we we go on YouTube and watch it all the time. It'll hit the ground eventually. It's can you do it? Um, you know, it's can you do it safely for the tree? Can you do it safely for the environment? And I think there's a there's a certain amount of dignity that should go into a tree removal because nothing lives forever. We're all ephemeral, but we all want to go out with a little bit of class, and uh, and I think that that can be part of it too. I th- I think um, I just want to go back to when you were talking about the competitions. Yes, the competitions to me were the have, allowing women to participate, compete, allowing women, letting women compete at the internationals was the single most significant thing that basically put us on the map. Huh. It, it, it yeah. celebrated not only our presence, but it validated that women can climb because right. that's, like 2001, I remember when Sharon Lilly came to Toronto and I was, you know, still working at the city and that was, she was the first woman I ever met that was a climber. And right. I remember her saying like, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm not that great in throwing my line in. And I said, oh my God, that's like me. But I, you know, when you <laughs> own the company, you just have someone else throw your line in. But anyways, but I remember at one point I asked her, are there women that compete? And she goes, oh, no, no, no. But I think there's like a few in, in, in Sweden that, you know, they want a competition. And it took 
like almost like seven years, um, no, closer to almost nine years into my career that the international said, yep, this is it. We're going to let women. And even then, that 2001 event, um, that competition was such a disappointment because women were treated like we only had three events. That was the belayed right. speed climb, throw line, and foot locking. The work. The, oh, really? the, those were the three, and the top three of the combined uh, points, you went and you did the masters, which was basically the men's work climb. Because, right. and I remember Rip saying, well, you know, because some of the women were saying, I traveled all the way from Europe to do these three events. Are you kidding me? And they didn't right. think women were capable of doing aerial rescue. That's, you know, that was, no, no, no. And the work climb was just like too advanced. So that became the masters like in that first year. So I had already wow. convinced myself, oh, I, I, you know, I, I was crappy at throw line. I was, you know, I didn't know what a footlock at the international. Right. <laughs> and I ended up coming third. So I remember, you know, they were calling my name. I was going to, to do the, the masters, the work climb. And it was yeah. Christina Inch, Christine Inch, yeah, yeah. Kia Martin and I. Yeah. And I yeah. end up winning that, but they took the collective points. So I came in second. Oh, you so were the then, one. That's how Christine won. Oh, okay. So the next year, it was like, I think there was enough, like, you know, complaints. It's like, okay, we'll let the women do, like, all those events in their own masters, but they're going to get separate trees. They still weren't sure. The guys, the committee, they still weren't sure. So now we're not even 25 years from, you know, that first event. Um, and everything is like completely even. Same time, men and women are given the same time, the same trees, and women are yeah. beating the men's times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I think it, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's come an amazingly long way. It's, uh, but if it wasn't you know, for it, that competition, allowing women to showcase our abilities, I think we wouldn't be having this conversation. Maybe, you know, I, I have to, I, I have to say, I, it, it, the, uh, I can't, I'm, I'm, I need to fact check the year, but I am, factual on one aspect we had seven women compete in our chapter event now I'm, i need to remember if we i don't know what i don't know what restrictions there were that's possible because you know the the way you know it wasn't a it was a wasn't an automatically yeah let's let the women do everything which is just ridiculous when they look at it now but um but we had it's it's been touted at the international they'll, they'll announce that the first time there was ever women in a comp was in a chapter in Minnesota or something. It was a year or two years previous that we had seven women compete in our chapter. And, uh, you know, I was already involved with the international. And I remember saying, you guys need to start having some, because there was nowhere for them to go. 
Like we were having women in our event and we didn't have, like there was nowhere for them to go. They couldn't go compete at the international, you know, and that hasn't always been the case. It, like we've gone from having as many as 10 down to two or three, but there was a time when we, we had like, I think 10 or 12 women in our chapter competition before the international started having theirs. Wow. And, uh, and other chapters started as well. Right. You know, and it, it's interesting because I really, I'd, I'd like to get you out our conference this summer. Uh, cause the city of Red Deer is hosting it and the city of Red Deer. Last time I trained there had all women urban forestry crew. And I, it might be the only place that exists that has all women. Like I'm talking the entire, it's a small city, so there's only eight or nine of them. It's not like the city, the city of Red Deer is 150,000 people. So it's a decent city, but the entire urban forestry crew from top to bottom, like from the people feeding the chipper to the people cutting the trees to the climbers, the bucket operators and the urban forest manager are all women. Wow. That's great. <laughs> you know, and uh, they, they would love to, I don't know if any of them met you. They've definitely heard of you. So. Anyway, I digress. You know, it's interesting though, because uh, a woman by the name of Donna Balzer, she pushed the city into starting an urban force position. I want to say 1985. And uh, she was instrumental in having uh, uh, Nelda Matheny come up and speak in 87, the late 80s on the, her, the, the hazard evaluation book that first came out, you know, in 87, 88. Uh, the photographic guide, the uh, hazard trees in urban areas. And, uh, and she was very vocal. And, and I remember I was hired at the college in 92 and she wanted an aerial rescue workshop done at the city. And, and it was for her and Linda, her coworker, which were the arborists for the city of Red Deer. And, and it was actually Lori and I went up and we, and, uh, we did, uh, we did a little air rescue thing on a weekend on a Saturday. And this was like the mid nineties, early mid nineties. And, uh, she'd been in that position, but you know what I, I guess what I find fascinating is like her dedication to it as has kept that city very much on the forefront. And, and to this day they have, it's just not even an issue. Like mm-hmm. women are a part of that crew and always will be, I think. Um, so, yeah, you know, and I also think back to California with the the, the the shady ladies, as they called themselves, you know, which started as a group of wives of arborists that went to the conference. And and now they're all made up of women of that are, you know, practicing arboriculture. They're not, they're not just, you know, they're, it was, and uh, that, that group is still in existence today and goes way back. I don't know if you're familiar with them. When no. They, but, um, it, it, they're, it, they're, they still do, uh, they're still active in the chapter. They have their own little, uh, little event they do at the, at the, their conference every year. Um, and they go back, my goodness, I'm not sure how long, but it's, it's in the seventies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know it's, it. so, but it's just growing and growing and igniting and it's just getting so much more in the forefront. And, uh, yeah, I just find it really interesting. And Wendell, where do you really Wendell, where do you see the future of the women's competition going? Do you think there'll be a point where there won't be a separate men's and women's division? It'll just be a tree climbers competition. Ooh, that's a good one. 
Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. It just seems like, you know, there's like now you're getting intergenerational, you know, climbers coming up. Um, I, I don't know. I think they're always going to be that difference of men and women's. I don't, I can't think of any sport where it's like, Correct. you know, in the Olympics where they don't yeah. sep- separate that. And I, I, I'd rather see it, you know, the women's because it, it's like, you know, I, I don't follow any sports, but man, when the, the women's soccer is there or women's hockey, I'm in front of the TV. Like the, right. Um, I think, right. they, well, it, I think it's, a... go ahead. The only thing I can see is that you're going to need an extra day because more and more women are competing like from the chapters, Mm. Um, even at our, uh, the Ontario chapter, like we have a waiting list and, um, you know, it's been mentioned like, you know, for the last couple of years, we have to add another, uh, another day onto our competition to allow let's say if you want like you know 20 women competing or or whatever so i i think that if you didn't keep it separate i think there's a chance for the identity to get lost again you know it uh potentially you know it it created like you just said when they're like you watch the women's hockey you watch the women's soccer like it's in in all sport and all Things, you know, there is, and, uh, you know, tree climbing competitions cross that vague line of work to sport. You know, it's not really work. It's based on work activities, but it's not, I don't know many, like, I don't know if there's the international plumbing championships or the international, you know what I mean? But we are this, this weird industry that has these, cha- and it's very much a sporting event. You all, I mean, I'm curious what you feel of, like, uh, what, which, uh, what was her name? The English, no, was she? We had a, there was a female competitor who was not in an arborist who did very well in competitions. Who was that now? Uh, do you remember? Was she the trapezist from the UK chapter? No, I thought she worked. Yeah. She were and she worked at a bank, you know, like she just, but she was very fit and active. Um, I Tony, think, do you remember who that was? If you said the name, I'd probably remember. You know, that. there's been a few of them. And, um, I spoke to one and she was, she's actually an American (laughs) anyways, I'm not going to say the name, but anyways, she was saying that, um, she, she was just a good athlete and she felt bad. She was not an arborist, but she stopped competing and went back to the drawing board to become an arborist. So now it's that line. We're just similar to what you were saying. Like, you know, if you're a good athlete and you can train on this, but you don't have to do this day in and day out, sure, you can be good at uh, doing all these events. You may not know any idea why you're doing it, um, but it's right. just repetition. <laughs> it's just like, you know, writing your ISA uh, certification. Um, there's like, you know, lots of people now that they're not arborists and they just they're able to write it my goodness are you saying that if you're a certified arborist that doesn't mean you know a lot about trees window (laughs) (laughs) it's possible (laughs) so in hong kong they call them 
paper arborists. And those are really? the, yeah, paper arborists. And those are the ones that are in managerial, uh, you know, the, they, they work in management. They don't climb. Right. They don't, they're not frontline, but they got the smarts and they can memorize anything that you put in front of them. They may have right. zero practical knowledge, but um, they, yeah, they literally are called paper arborists. Interesting. Interesting. So that would like the direct translation, so to speak, is paper arborist. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I mean, I think we're all aware of it. I, I, you know, it's a, I guess fundamentally, you know, if we want to talk about the ISA and, and certified arborist a little bit, and we've, you know, the competition often comes up, but I don't think we've talked about certified arborist yet or, or the other type of disciplines that exist. You know, I, I think there was such a lack of recognition for arborists that ISA really has bolstered that and created an identity that is very important. I think overall, I think that's been a positive. You know, I, I the, the only misgiving I think I have with the programs that have been developed is when uh, a, a group like a municipality or an organization says, in order to bid or to be part of our crews, you need to have certified arborists on staff, let's say. And, you know, there was a situation here where a company had, you know, three people that had forestry degrees. They had, the other four people had uh, diplomas, or like arborist diplomas, like from Humber College or Olds College, but they just hadn't written a certified arborist. And they weren't able to bid on a contract because they didn't have, and a company that, got the contract, all they had were CAs. They had no other training whatsoever, just written the Darvers test, but they were eligible to bid. And this company owner wrote an article about it in our newsletter saying like, is this really what we're after here? You know, this seems a little wrong because there's no way you can hold a certified arborist exam up against a, urban, a forestry degree or uh, a two-year college diploma. Like, Come on. But yet it was, it's easy. And everyone argues, well, of course, just go right to test. Uh, I get that. However, it, it, it has given some power or recognition to a, a paper credential. I guess I could say, I would use that term based on what you just said, Wenda. Yeah. What do you think? Is that like, have you observed that or witnessed so that? What we have seen, especially in, you know, Toronto, more and more landscape architects are certified yeah. arborists. So now they don't need, a, you know, somebody like myself to do a construction um, tree preservation plan. So talk about right. conflict of interest. Um, I'm going to put it out there. They're, they're, not all of wow. them, but a lot of landscape architects, they have no clue. They have no clue right. about proper, you know, tree selection. They, 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 putting in like million dollar planting plans and it makes absolutely no sense because it's a disposable plan. It's not meant to last for more than, you know, 10, 15 years. Yeah. And we as the, you know, the arborists, we have to come in years later to take down these trees or to, you know, like, you know, who the heck planted this, this close, does it make <laughs> sense? And when I'm, and I think it's, we go back to that passion, you know, when, when you're a climber and you're an arborist 
a certified arborist and you're trying to educate uh, the builder or the architect, like, you know, you don't need to remove this hundred year old bur oak for this addition. Um, they're, we're, we're like the last, uh, totem on the totem pole. Um, and we're just so invalidated for our credentials. So now these, um, architects are just writing the exam and then they can write their own specs without any desire to maintain the trees or really understand that you don't need to remove this tree. We can cut this back. We can do all this stuff. So there goes my, there's my, my thing with paper arborists. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think you're, you'd find a, a resounding agreement amongst a lot of, you know, um, I don't know what we'd be called. What, what would be the opposite of that? Wendell? what, if they're paper arborists, what's the, uh, what are we? <laughs> <laughs> Wooden arbor. <laughs> you know, it's but, it's, but, but I mean, it's, that's, that, I get it. I understand totally what you're saying, and I agree. We're so I we're the frontline workers. We're the ones that are going to chain ourselves to that tree, or or put up a a tree tent and and you know stay up there <laughs> fighting for the yep. for the the tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's funny. Like when you look back at like what this what the certified arborist program we know today came from like here in the pennsylvania delaware chapter my father pendel chapter had a certified arborist program predating the international um i believe western chapter did as well a lot of the chapters did yeah and and they actually used pieces of the pendel chapter you know to do the international but part of that was like yeah there was a test and you had to sit down and take a test but then you also like you did tree identification in person you know you somebody took you through the woods and you identified trees and they ask you questions and there's review process. And I think that ultimately, I think the international might find themselves getting back to that um, just to differentiate, because I know plenty of people that are like, I call them research arborists, right? Like they're excellent certified arborists. They can explain things about trees that go right over my head, but they don't climb trees every day, but they're still arborists. They're still actively involved in the pursuit of, you know, caring for trees and learning about trees. And that's great. And that's, you know, I get, I, you know, if a, if a landscape architect wants to be a certified arborist, that's great, but you're right. It loses something when they're not working with trees every day, you know, and they're not doing yeah. these, doing these things. And even when you classify down into municipal arborists and line clearance arborists, and you could go, there's a whole nother rabbit hole to dive down. <laughs> but I think that <laughs> ultimately the program is going to have to come, you know, background because it doesn't mean what it used to anymore because you can't just go take a test. And if you're good at taking a test, you have the same certification that the three of us have minus the probably well over a hundred years of experience, you know, working with trees. And that's, that's a huge part of it. And so I think ultimately the program might have to go back to something like that. And it has always been my biggest argument about board certified arborist is where's the board? Like it's, it's only in the name, like where'd the board go? You know, so it, maybe that's what it needs to come down to, you know, to, to differentiate that so that you can, because, you know, all those years climbing trees, working in trees, being with trees, it's paid dividends in education physically and, you know, emotionally and spiritually, as we talked about earlier. And, and that, that, that has value. Yeah. Well, put. yeah, yeah it's, it certainly does. Well, when we, we, 
we don't have a set timeline. We, we, it always, we get to about 70 minutes and which we're close to now. And it just, it, it, it seems like, a, I don't know, it must be a biorhythm thing or something. <laughs> but, uh, and then we want to thank you very much for your time. It's most valuable non-renewable resource that we all have. Hmm. And, uh, to, for, to, I, I'm just honored and grateful that you were willing to do this and that we were able to record this and have some of this posterity down on a, an audio format that, uh, you know, and I hope you, you catch your episode will air when, when sometime uh, probably... April looking like late April, I think if I was just working on a calendar today, so sometime in late April, I think. And, uh, but, uh, what would you have to say? Tony, I'm going to ask what, what you'd, you'd tell someone uh, that's oh. just, that, that, that thinks they've felt the calling. First of all, they'll probably know it. What's, what's the, the uh, advice you'd give someone to move forward in this, if they feel they've been bitten by the tree bug? Uh, sorry, you're asking me? I thought you were asking Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, 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 no. I was asking you. (laughs) Well, if they're in Toronto, they should go through the Groundworker program and go Ah. go through the the tree, like, you know, uh, go to the college. Um, I think it's old school thinking that you can just get hired off the street, Um, you know, 30 years ago. You can just walk up to a company and say, listen, I'll, I'll drag brush. But most of the companies, um, they're going to hire from the school. Um, right, right. But that calling, that bug, it, it, it's, I, I, there, there's no way to articulate that. It, it's like you're no. going to, it's going to grab you from the guts. And yeah. um, at that point... It's, you're so focused. Um, nothing is going to um, get in your way. You're just going to, yeah. you know, and, and that's the only way I, I think I lasted. And, and perhaps that's probably why a lot of women are scared to like, you know, back then um, to get into the, the program, um, to get into uh, being a climber because of that, it's just so male dominated, but if you, yeah. and you need that spark, it's like a soul spark, uh, you know, um, the fireworks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's, uh, it's, and, and I guess it's a gift when you receive it. And I, there isn't, I can't even put my finger on like for myself. I, I wasn't looking for it. I didn't know that's what it would be, but I, I knew it was it when I felt it. You know, it it was there. It was you know, and and how it happened to be that I received that gift, I don't know. But I I I ran with it. I took it. You know, and I guess I was open to pursuing it. And I it didn't like same as you. It took a relentless effort of disappointments and rejections to before before I really felt that I had arrived there. And I never I've never deviated. I've never left the 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 arboriculture industry or and the training side of it it's just always was in me and uh i i admire your journey uh, you're one of my most favorite arborists and people to talk to always when i mean it it's it's always just so i guess just meaningful and uplifting so i just want to thank you again for for taking time and for yeah. 
being per- and answering the questions. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. I have one last question for you, Wenda. If you could have your own billboard, what would it say? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I, I would have to put like a – it's, it's – ah. Uh, you know what? I would have to quote, um, I have arrived, I'm at home from, you know, they, uh, the, 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 the honorable, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's just being present and being in gratitude that, that, that quote always is surrounds my whole being. That every day is a gift and, you know, no matter where you are in that procession, um, that transformation and that journey, that is where you're supposed to be. Right. I am, I have arrived. I am at home at this very instance. This is where I'm supposed to be. That's very beautiful. Be where your feet are. (laughs) Wow. Well, I think that's a great ending to an amazing podcast. Thank you, Wendell. Well, thank yeah, you Wendell. both. This was great. I didn't <laughs> expect to have such a great, like, we just talked wherever we wanted to talk. There's no script. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to bring my musical stand with uh, 17 pages <laughs> of notes. <laughs> no, Other- and, uh, you know, go ahead, John. I said, there's a time and place for that, but not here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, if you're if you're ever interested, in, you know we're uh, we're not sure where this thing's going to go. We're open to whatever, and uh, you know if there's ever a time that it it, it it might happen again, we'd love to have you back. So if you're if you're if you're open to that, maybe one day we'll do it again. Absolutely, I'm all for it. <laughs> right on. <laughs>